uh, Peter does the exact same thing. And he's like, do you remember the name of the town? And Peter's like, or no, Brian. Brian is like, oh, fuck, what's the name of that town? And then they just show Peter on the beach, just like, where is he? <laughs> hey, everybody. This is David. And welcome to our 100th episode of I Finally Watched. And this is Alon. And after 100 episodes, I finally watched The Shawshank Redemption. So for most of my life, I think I told people this is my favorite movie. And I haven't seen it in a while. I saw it on TV all the time. I would, I would say I've probably seen bits and pieces of this movie like 100 times. And I've probably seen the whole thing like at least 20. Um, but I have not watched it in a while just because, you know, there's so many movies to watch. Uh, rewatching it now, I do. I have no problem saying that this is my like one of my favorite movies. I, it's, it's so hard to pick your favorite, you know, your exact favorite. Um, but if I had to choose, I'd probably say this. It's just so good. You know, when you told me this, and I've never seen this film before, and then I watched it, I was like, okay, I can see. First of all, it explains you in a nutshell, right? Like this guy who goes to this place, and then all of a sudden, he's the smartest guy in the room. Describes you to, uh, to a T. Um, he wasn't all of a sudden the smartest guy in the room. He was always the smartest guy in the room. He just went to a place where it was a lot easier to see how much smarter he was than everyone else. My point proven. Anyways, uh, I think, you know, the Shawshank Redemption, I, I'm kind of mad at myself that it's been all these years that I've never seen it. And it's one of those movies that I think is like a staple to cinephiles, you know, watches. Um, you could even classify this film as like one of the most popular films. Like I feel like a lot of people who like movies and ones who don't like this film or have popularized it in such a way that if you don't like this film, there's something obviously wrong with you. Uh, and I think some, you know, there's a lot of films that fall into this, uh, bandwagon sort of thing but then again i don't feel like all of the films are actually as good as people say and i think we've done a couple uh citizen kane comes to my mind uh i feel like there's a lot of people who are like well let's just say society say that citizen kane is the greatest film of all time hands down period but then I think if you look deeper, there's a lot of people who agree with that and a lot more who don't. And I feel like the Shawshank Redemption is one of those people that, one of those films that people are like, okay, this is one of the greatest films of all time. However, the difference between that and Citizen Kane is that I feel like this is very difficult to argue that it's not a great film. I think the the argument on Citizen Kane has a lot to do with like how you qualify greatest movie. It's it's the greatest movie because of when it was made. If if Citizen Kane never existed and someone made it in 2020, people would be like, "What the fuck is this?" I mean, you <laughs> you know, you saw you saw the artist. You didn't actually maybe see the movie, but you get my point. Like it's 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 a, it's graded on a curve for when it came out and because it was so much better and so different than movies of the time. That's why it's considered the greatest. What's interesting about this is that this movie was basically a flop when it came out. 
it made like 18 million dollars on i think maybe like a 10 million dollar budget but i could have that that number wrong that's not but, bad yeah but it didn't like make its money back um with advertising and all that uh and then it's like one of the most rented movies ever which for people who don't understand how that used to work but like it's like it is... streaming but temporary <laughs> you go to a place and pick up your streaming title um so like this this is almost a cult classic movie that now a lot of people consider like the greatest movie or their favorite movie, uh, which is an interesting like life cycle for it. Um, I think this movie also just has like so many things going for it. For example, this is the first time Morgan Freeman ever narrated a movie. And it's very (laughs) clearly that this is the thing Morgan Freeman was born to do. So you got him to do it. Well, that Um, and that penguin movie. This, yeah, I think this came out first. And then, do you know who the cinematographer is on this? It's, uh, it's our good friend Deacon. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he would consider us good friends, but that's like, it just, it was, it just, this thing that sort of came together um, that could have been ruined in a lot of different ways, which is a lot of the, the way like movies like this go, but it just had all these things that went for it so well. And then it just, it's like, it, it also helps that it's like, because it did so poorly in the beginning, it's almost like a movie people discovered. And you know, when you discover something like that, <laughs> yeah. you kind of have this special relationship with it where it's like, yeah, it's- It's like an ownership, that's it's com- like, this is mine. It's like, this is a completely different movie, but a lot of people that loved Napoleon Dynamite, it's because they discovered this little, like, little indie movie. But if you watched it like a year later after everyone told you it's the greatest thing in the world, which is what I did, you're like, kind of a letdown not really the greatest thing in the world i feel the same way but with juno i still Um, haven't seen juno now well you know i eventually eventually obviously you know when we first started this podcast 100 episodes ago i think shawshank redemption was one of the ones that kind of jump-started this whole venture that we went on for for now over a year and um it's you know fitting that we're doing this is kind of a uh i don't want to call it a bookend because we're not ending the podcast (laughs) but as our 100th episode we've kind of completed the i don't the first phase i guess of our podcast as far as like this is one we've always wanted to do from the beginning we've always planned on doing it We've always planning on making it the 100th episode, and now here we are. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think we needed to get into all the self congratulatory stuff, but it's I just wanted—I just wanted to make you watch this movie. My go- my goals were to make you watch *In Bruges* yeah. and this, and wow. so so we could be done. done. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll talk about it off air. um so getting in onto the uprising of this film i think another thing that had a 50 50 thing going for it that could have completely ruined it um or you know made it successful is that it is an adaptation from a stephen king novel a novella 
Okay. I've also heard it called a short story, but basically a short novel. I guess my point is that we've seen a lot of Stephen King adaptations either gain a large amount of success or have gone unnoticed, you know. And when I saw that this was a Stephen King adaptation, which is something I did not, either I I didn't know or I didn't remember going into this, but uh, a lot with Stephen King is that you have this like 80, 90% of this very normal movie. And then at the very end of the movie, you have uh, 10 to 20% of fucking like mythical shit happening, right? And so I really thought, that I'm just wait. I'm like watching this movie. I'm just waiting for some mythical shit to happen. And it doesn't. And I was actually very, very glad that none of that kind of stuff did happen. So you really did get it confused with the green mile. I really got it confused with the green mile, which is that a Stephen King? Yeah. See, son also, of a bitch. Also directed by Frank Darabont who directed the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. So it's not really even my fault. It's a little bit. It's a little bit your fault. You you got Michael Clark Duncan mixed with Morgan Freeman. No, I I knew they were two separate characters. Don't Tom Hanks mixed with Tim Robbins. Actually, that's a. I can see that happening. They're only like a foot tall difference in height. Um, let me tell you about Tim Robbins though. Is that watching him in this and watching him in Mystic River, is uh. Uh he likes to play this kind of like this quiet uh, character that also, I don't know about you, but it was not realistic to me that whatever age he was um, incarcerated in Shawshank, 20 years passed. Like, I don't even care if he was 20 to what, 40? You change way more than what Tim Robbins did in this film. Never once thought about that watching this movie. You didn't think like the the whole aged up process did not work twenty well in like twenty years. That's a no. I just never, I never, never considered it. I never thought about oh, he should look older. Hmm. So, like you said, I think you know uh, uh, this movie had a lot of stuff going for it. It was it's a prison break movie. It's a uh, you don't know that until the last twenty <laughs> minutes though. It's an underdog movie. It's a. What do you call it when you steal money from people? Robbery? No, no, no. But like when you do it in like a kind of a white collar sort of way. Fraud? Fraud. Yes. Dear God. <laughs> let's get in the let's get in the movie. This movie starts for one of my favorite movies, it starts with my least favorite scene. Like the least favorite part of the movie is him sitting outside of his his wife's lover's house. And then the court stuff. And I was just like, this is seven minutes too long. I don't, I don't care about any of this. Just get me to give me to the prison. It's seven minutes long. It felt like 20. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I, I, I love the opening song because it really sets like the period and the time and it's beautiful. And then I just like get, get past this. I, I don't, I don't want any of this. I don't care. Well, you have to understand for a first time watcher, I think it's really important to kind of establish what is happening and, and the ambiguity of 
did he or didn't he? Is he actually innocent or did he actually commit this crime is really important throughout this whole thing. Yeah, and from from someone who's watched it so many times, that's not a question, I guess. But up until the Tommy Williams character, which we can even talk about if you believe it at that point, um, it's it really is a question, did he actually not do this? Because as Red says, Morgan Freeman, everyone in Shawshank's innocent. You know, it's the, the joke going around. So, um, but then after that, we get to prison and we get to Morgan Freeman's been in jail for 20 years, prison for 20 years, and he has a parole hearing. And I didn't, um, I guess it doesn't matter, but I didn't pick up that there were separate parole officers over this 20 years, but it's like the, the parole officers change from the 20 to the 40 year one. I didn't really pay attention to the 30 year one. Um, but he says, you know, he's so meek and, and mild and just says everything you think they would want to hear. And it's just immediately gets rejected. And he's like, same shit like it was i was always gonna get rejected like that's just how this works and the other guy's like yeah i'm up for rejection next week what's interesting about this is that i guess you can assume that this is only second time being rejected because the pattern goes that that he's getting rejected every 10 years yeah and since he's only been in there for 20 years that's his only second time and how he was just so like it's just gonna be another rejection you know yeah, because all the guys are going through it. Does no one ever get paroled at Shawshank? Is that like, I know that's like what we're shown, but that's kind of a really freaking low number. If it's zero? If it's zero out of all those prisoners? Yeah, I don't that's know. Your, that's your first clue of like some seedy, fishy shit going on in here. By the way... um, when you see the mugshot of young Morgan Freeman, I've always thought like that doesn't look anything like Morgan Freeman. That's Morgan Freeman's son in the mugshot. Oh, what? And then immediately after that, when the bus is coming in and all the guys get off the bus, the fresh fish, Morgan Freeman's son is up front and center. The guy who was in the mugshot yelling at the prisoners, Oh, fresh fish. Let's reel him in. Like, <laughs> And I've I've seen this movie so many times I never noticed it. I had to like I looked it up. Wait, he's like at the front of the bus as a guard? No, no, he's a prisoner who's already been there, and he's yelling at the prisoners like, "Oh, fresh fish!" The way oh, he's up at says. the he's up at the gate. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, which is just so funny that they're like, no one's gonna no one's gonna notice this, and I didn't. Yeah. Still. Uh. So yeah. So we we go from that to. I guess the inevitable, like we know Tim Robbins needs to eventually get to the, get into Shawshank. I was confused the first time watching this. I know you've watched this like a hundred times, but what did you think, or what do you think I could have thought as a first time watcher on them placing bets? What did you think they were placing bets for? Um, I mean, it's either first one to crack, which, you know, crack, whatever that means. Um, Maybe first one to like kill themselves. Um, you know, the, it's obviously left ambiguous until you get to the point. But I think just like overall cries, freaks out, whatever is what I assumed. <laughs> Killing themselves would have been a little harsher. But as Red says, you know, there's, you know, it's just another thing you can bet on. Like, like who cares? Um, one thing, this is like 
when the narration starts and this is my i think my favorite narration in any movie like i think it works so well throughout they don't it's overuse Morgan it Freeman. and you have the best voice possible to do it i don't know who the, you could have better the only you problem have, you could have ray liotta's voice i guess <laughs> no no thank you uh the only issue that i had with the narration is that not once throughout the entire movie was i ever worried for morgan freeman um and then i feel like at the end of the film when he was like uh andy you know made it to that you know pacific ocean um i I was like well how does he know that and then it's kind of set up that he meets him there you you know what i'm saying it's kind of spoils itself in the last five ten minutes of the film yeah yeah i can see that i uh because it's either like a third person like omniscient narrator or it's written from a perspective of writing about the past right um one cool thing (laughs) i read about this is that he did the entire narration in 40 minutes (laughs) but then like the audio was messed up so he had to redo it and the next time it took like three weeks for him to do it all just to probably um, book them or something. But that's like Morgan Freeman's just like, all right, one fucking take. Let's get this done. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, so they're betting on all these prisoners as they walk in. And the one guy's like, oh, I got fat ass, you know, number five in line. He's going to. Um, interestingly enough, I'll, we'll do all the casting at the end. But this one is too good. So John Favreau auditioned for the role of fat ass. What? didn't get it. He didn't get it and then said that that gave him motivation to like lose weight and get in shape. <laughs> uh, it's funny that that's the motivation <laughs> that he didn't get the role called fat ass. He's like, all right, I gotta, I gotta fucking fix my life here. I think like that, I mean, that character is so pathetic that it's honestly maybe a good thing that you don't get that role. You can like look at the silver lining of that. Well, I mean, his life was, you know, complete silver linings after that. So I don't feel bad for John Favreau. <laughs> and so then we have Red bets on Andy to be the first one to crack, to, you know, scream out or cry. Um, and we'll get to the, the payoff of that. But meeting the warden for the first time, I think, is like, one of the great introductions for an evil character. Mm-hmm. It's like so simplistic and yet just, I mean, I love the line of like, put your trust in the Lord because your ass belongs to me as the end. But also he asks for questions and then some dude asks for when dinner is. And he just immediately, like, it was almost like a setup. He like nods to Hadley. He's like, go fuck this dude up. And um, I think, maggot dick motherfucker might be like the most (laughs) harshest like i never took note of it before but just like how how mean it is yeah 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 maggot dick motherfucker that's uh that's one that i'm gonna store away for a rainy day you know we talk about we've brought up several times about how like i said that tavington's like the most evil character um 
the warden and Hadley as like a tag team duo are so close though. I would, I would just say the warden. I, I, I don't even think Hadley is that bad as far as, um, I know he killed a guy, he killed two, two people. I realize this David, but I guess what I mean is that he was going off of orders. Um, told him to beat up fat ass to death. Okay. And he took the Lord's name in vain. So, well, yeah, right up there. No, but I don't, I don't know. There was something about, I think at the end, at the end when he was being taken away and then what the warden did, I feel like put the warden as a much higher villain at that point. Um, also, Hadley might have taken the Lord's name in vain, but I, I, did you feel like the warden just took the whole like religious aspect of his life and just like fucking took advantage of it? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's the point of that character. Um, I also love, and this is the first time I've ever noticed this. So they close the doors behind them. Then you know, uh, red narrates that like once those doors close, it really becomes real for you. Um, and so, uh, forget his name, but the one character gets the fat guy to, uh, to cry. So he's actually my favorite character. Haywood of- is Haywood. Hayward. Hayward, Haywood, whatever. He gets the fat guy to cry. He is like, well, he's, he's the side character with like the most talking. Like there's the, all the other guys that are always at the table with them, but he's like, he's the one who kind of gets his due. Um, I, I would have been really upset if anything happened to him because i really liked him he was like outside of like for hayward justice for hayward 100 percent uh his my favorite thing is he's like yes uh (laughs) the the count of monte crisco by alexander dumbass it's just one of the funniest lines i think but then to be followed up by it's by it's about a prison break so you'll like it and then he and then red's like well that should go under educational too shouldn't it that was like funny, but also like the setup. Great. Uh, but what I never noticed before is after Hadley pulls the fat guy out and starts beating him, a random prisoner yells, you people run this place like a prison. <laughs> what? I didn't catch that. I only caught it because of the subtitles were on and then I, I like heard it as I was reading. I was like, that is one so amazing, but I can't believe they left it in there. You people run this place like a prison. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, my God. That's, like, so... It's probably one of the funniest, like, lines that I don't even know if most people catch. Um, but then, like, the night ends and Andy didn't make a sound and, and Red lost on him. And then we get to lunch the next day. And I don't know if you noticed this because you hadn't seen it, but as Andy walks around, Boggs, one of the sisters... Like is just staring at him as he's walking. I know and the camera that. like focuses in on it. Yeah, it's just like ah, oh, so creepy. Um, and then you find out that the fat guy died, and Andy's like, oh well, what's his name? And the and Haywood Hayward, just like doesn't fucking matter what his name is, he's dead because he kind of feels responsible, you know? Like he caused this guy to die by fucking making him cry. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know about that. I, on one hand, it's like, there is some composure that you just have to hold. And this guy just, I mean, if this guy 
didn't die then he would have died shortly after just because he couldn't handle the pressure i guess do you think boggs would have liked his mushy butt Well, we'll we'll get to we'll Did get that to the, that that the fact that fat ass died changed the whole outcome of this movie and Andy for you know Andy wouldn't have had the motivation to break out he would have just stayed up in his cell left alone carving rocks. Now that's the thing I wanted to talk to you about because you know soon after when we get the the scene on the yard and. Andy approaches Morgan Freeman about, um, you know, I heard you're a type of guy who can get anything in here. And Red ends up being the type of guy that can literally get anything in here in, in Shawshank. And he gets him a rock hammer. And um, that was before the sisters. I think that was just two months into Andy's. Uh, I think he says a month in. Prison time. Yeah. Do you think that, he was planning his escape at that point. So this is the first time I realized that I don't think he was because he asked for the rock hammer. And then several scenes later, after a ton of stuff's happened and I'll point it out when we get to it, you see him carving on the wall with the rock hammer. And it feels like some amount of time has passed. Cause I think he had been, they showed like a montage of him getting attacked, but he chips off a piece of the wall and then the next day goes to Red in the movie and asks for the poster of Rita Hayworth. And that's right before he got really, really, really badly beaten Injured. up. Yeah. And so, yeah, 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 you're right. Because he didn't start doing it until he could hide it with the poster. Damn, yeah, you're right. So it, it does seem that he just wanted the rock hammer for, for that. Uh, going back a little bit, the scene with the sisters in the shower First of all, I always thought there are three sisters, but I guess there's only really two. And then there's some other dudes that just help out all the time with the rapes. The other sister with like has really gray hair, but then like a very boyish face and he's just fucking jacked. You're like, what is going on with this dude? Like so odd looking. But then the bogs with fucking creepiest lines, like line reading of we all need friends. I could be a friend to you. Oh my God. And then as he walks away, hard to get. I like that. Yeah. It's just everything that comes out of that dude's mouth. <laughs> it's creepy. Um, the, another good line is, is, you know, when Andy's asking red for the rock hammer and Andy's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get you a weapon that you're going to be able to like kill and hurt people with. And then he kind of turns his attention to the sisters and he's like, you know, they uh, just have some eyes on in the back of your head. Watch out for them. And Andy just very nonchalantly, he's like, well, I guess it wouldn't help if I mentioned that I wasn't a homosexual. Well, yeah, no, that's one of my favorite lines. And then Red's like, neither are they. You have to be human first. They don't meet the requirements. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so here's the thing. What would you do if that was happening to you? I assume every day, once a week. Yeah, well, I mean, stay in a group. Stay in a group? Yeah, but see, it seemed like he always had to, like, for some reason, go by himself to that laundry room. And I was like, 
Well, it feels like that dude set him up when he's like, Andy, you go get this. That ha- that was a setup. That dude was in on it. Oh, really? I feel like it, yeah. Oh, I guess that was never, like, proven. But, yeah, I guess. I do love at the end of that conversation, you know, after, like, oh, you, once you see the rock camera, you'll know why. But then, uh, like, why that's funny. But then he's like, why do they call you red? And he's like, I don't know, maybe because I'm Irish. Which is funny also because in the Stephen King novel, he is Irish. And so that was like the joke they left in on purpose. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's really good. I really then like the montage of getting the contraband in and explaining it, how it worked. Yep. One thing that confused me, and this is because cigarettes are so expensive now is the rock camera costs seven reds. Like I'm going to charge you extra. I'm going to make it 10. But then Red gives out three different cigarette packs that we see to pay to get this stuff in. And I was like, that's like way more than the $3 surcharge. But it turned out that packs of cigarettes in the 50s were 24 cents. So in the 40s, they might have even been a little less. So that was not cutting as much into his profits as I assumed it was. Also, he asked initially for 20% because it's a specialty item. He asked for $3. And I was thinking, okay, so 20% of 7 it's like it's like 150 um and so i was like okay so he asked for double he asked for basically 40 percent on top of that and then take away what 75 cents so yeah he made like two bucks yeah good math i'm glad i'm glad we did that yep on the episode we're almost at andy level of accounting right there so next we're at the first sister attack when he gets told to go in there. And I don't really want to do a shot for shot explanation of these attacks, but just to say that one of the most famous lines out of this movie is, I wish I could tell you Andy fought the good fight and the sisters left him alone. <laughs> just every time you hear it, you're like, Oh no, Andy, no. It, yeah, especially with, with that being said, along with the pan away, like it's panning away from the, the oh, it, it wasn't, you're, you're cutting Also, out. there's then the line about how it kept happening for two years after this. It's, it's very, it's a very hard pill to swallow. The next scene, which is also one of the, I mean, every scene of this is iconic to me, but the, uh, the roofing project where Red rigs it so all of them get chosen. And at this point, Andy's one of their friends too. Um, And then Hadley tells Dean's story about his brother and how he's getting 35K, but the government's going to fuck him over, which of course, like a corrections officer in in that setting is like, hates the government. Like, you know, it's like a trope. Um, And then Andy just, you could have come up with a better way to ask him. Like you didn't have to like, just go in like, so is your wife a bitch? Is she going to steal the money from you? Cause I got an (laughs) idea. Uh, Yeah. Um, I could see where this was going from from just just when Hadley was talking about his uh, situation, and then that one little like peek over his shoulder that Tim Robbins did. Um, I was like, okay, this is very much that sort of movie where he is going to be valued as an asset to everyone because of his accounting skills. Yada yada yada. Um, it did not me seeing it coming from a mile away did not make it any less awesome than when it when it was happening uh and i think apart from 
him leveraging beer bottles to finishing, you know, them uh, tarring out the roof for the info. Um, the next best scene to come out of that is when the officer, Arts. huh? Yeah, we'll get we'll get there. Don't ruin it, baby. It's 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 my favorite scene in the movie. There's so many favorite scenes. I do like how uh, they describe the beer as icy cold Bohemia style beer, and I'm just like, oh, that sounds so exotic. It's like <laughs> probably something they picked up at like a a supermarket. I also like how Red talks about um, did he did he do this to to get Hadley on his side or he do this to like make friends with the thing like the other prisoners, and really like Andy doesn't give a shit about any of that because like I mean maybe he hasn't decided to escape yet, but like his he's a very like single minded focused person, and so really as Red says he just did it because you know this is what he fucking does like this is you know who he is. So I liked that explanation. So the next scene is he's talking with Andy about the chessboard and how, you know, getting all the rocks because he wants to carve his own pieces. And Red's like, hey, you know, why did you do it? And Andy's like, come on, man, everyone here is innocent. And he's like, you know, you're innocent too, right? And Red's like, nah, I'm the only guilty person here. And he says he murdered someone, which we're supposed to think it's like in a robbery. Um, In the book, apparently red cut the brakes to his wife's car for insurance money but his wife's car bowled into a neighbor and a child and so he killed three people which i actually prefer this because red's supposed to kind of be like a good guy that like made a mistake you know what i mean and so killing someone in a robbery is kind of more forgivable as the audience than someone who like would you intentionally would you say it's more redeemable yes huh i would but then someone who intentionally killed their wife and ended up killing two other people you know just for some life insurance money also apparently fucking brooks the old guy they talk about uh i think they talk about his like his luck or whatever at some point in this i can't remember apparently he killed his wife and child after having bad luck in a poker game in the book? Yeah. Yeah, not really the character they painted in the film. No, just a you know, simple old man who had been there all his life, you know? Fucking Brooks, man. I don't know if I can look at him the same way, you know? Uh, so then after that, we get Andy carving, you know, his name into the wall and the, and the rock falling off. I think that's like a dead giveaway to where this movie goes. Um, but that's, I've seen it so many times. So I don't really know what, what did, uh, you knew where this movie ended. Did, did that, but you said Taylor watched this with you. Did that give things away to her? Or did she never see the escape coming? She never saw the escape coming. I knew he escaped. I didn't quite know how I, I kind of figured it out, uh, because of the Rita Hayward. No, that's Rita. Is it Rita Hayward? Rita Hayworth. Hayworth. Yeah, the poster. I was like, ah, okay, I see. I see how this is this is formulating. But I might be wrong, and you might be wrong. One of us is wrong uh, in this situation. The fact that when you see him carving his name, you don't see him with the, the rock fallout in the first scene. You only get that connection later on when it shows him finishing 
No, you're whole... right. You're right. right. No, yeah, it's just him carving the letter. So I don't think that gives anything away. Yeah, you're right, which is also smart. I also noticed they don't show. I thought it would would have been kind of cool to do it, but they don't show Andy's feet when he's walking out that last night when you think he's going to kill himself. They don't show him in the warden's shoes, but I think it would have been like kind of a cool thing to see on second watch. We're like, oh, I fucking missed that. But I guess they just didn't want, they want to make sure they didn't give it away to anybody. Well, that and also Red's line later on, he was like, um, the guard didn't notice and I didn't notice because no man really looks at another man's feet. And then it, right. it, it would have, I feel like that line wouldn't have carried if we did get a shot. Right. So, um, so next we get the, uh, they're in the movie theater and I love Red's line of like, oh, just wait until after she does that shit with her hair. <laughs> and then you see it and you're like, it's actually pretty, I get it. I get it why they all like that. All the guys nice. were going crazy about that. Yeah. And uh, the original title of the novel was Reed Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. And there is some stories I read that there were like several like actresses and models that sent like messages to Frank Darabout about wanting to be in the movie because they thought like a Rita Hayworth character was going to be in there. It was like going to be like a biopic or something. <laughs> but right after this, we then get the final attack from the sisters, which you don't realize it's going to be. It's uh, one of the hardest ones to watch. Um, I do love, he's like, oh, you don't want to put anything in my mouth because if you, if you then stab me, I'll bite down and that bite reflex, like you won't be able to unhinge it. And Box is such a fucking idiot. He's like, do, do you, how do you know all this shit? He's like, I read, you inbred fuck. Do you know how to read? <laughs> Just beats the shit out of him. You know what though? I mean, uh, balancing, you know, trying to figure out the, the two ways that that, that could have gone down. I would have gone down the route where I got the absolute life beaten out of me versus the alternative yeah so i think andy played uh played his cards right on that one and let me ask you this here's a here's a big moral question that i have for the for the film did the guard kill or not kill but injure boggs because him and the um, uh, uh, fucking guy, the warden, warden, already view him as an asset? Or is it just like, you can't be going and raping people in my prison. You're, you're gone now. It's the asset thing. I mean, because he had been... Now, it is a question because the warden had even, hadn't even talked to Andy yet about like... He hadn't even had the meeting with him where he kind of looked him up and down and sized him up. But I think at this point that's what like that's where this was going and like hadley they don't give a shit about things happening to prisoners except they can use this guy no but i know that but then that 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 makes me think that hadley because probably what has happened at this point in the film is that he took andy's advice it worked out for him and then he's like going to the warden he's like we need to protect this guy and that's what happened to bugs and then that's why the warden was like well i trust what you say hadley but i need to check this guy out for myself and that's probably what happened with that scene yeah no i agree 
Um, also, so satisfying Boggs crawling out and grabbing onto the rails. And they're like, get fucking back in here and just see him dragged in and beat. And then the two things never happened again. The sisters never touched Andy and Boggs never walked again. Dude, Boggs got taken away. Oh, my God. I'm like, I'm not feeling bad for him. But the fact that he can't ever walk, okay, fine. The fact that he used to drink through a straw for the rest of his life, jeez. That's a little bit of unreliable. There's no way for him to know that, right? The same in the end when he's like, oh, you know, I heard Hadley cried. It's like, oh, that's just secondhand, you know, whatever. You don't know that. He doesn't know that Boggs was never able to walk again or drink everything through a straw for sure. I mean, I guess he might know about the, the walking thing. Yeah. I guess we never we we didn't really stay on the whole death of fat ass. I hate to call him that, but we don't really have a character name for him. Um he died. His, his character name is Fat Ass. Yeah, yeah, I know. He died because Hadley beat him so bad and the night nurse or the infirmary doctor wasn't on call until the next morning. Went went yeah, went home. So he just bled out from brain injury and just died on the prison floor. Yes. Which here's the thing. And how did you feel about this being a a person who has watched this film many times, the back and forth of being like, okay, this prison is very, very bad and corrupt to, well, they are treating our main character pretty good at this point. And then going to do another bad and corrupt thing. And then, well, they are. What was the point in the movie for you that was like, he needs to get out of here? I think Tommy's death. Yeah, Tommy's death was like the the click too far. You kind of you see all the you see all the like the for lack of a better term, like happy times. And then that's sort of over when Tommy, you know, tells Andy the story that we'll get to, and then Tommy dies. Um, I think I agree with you. Yeah. So the warden meets Andy. Great scene. It is just literally size him up, see what he's about. Um, Obviously you didn't catch the significance of the warden grabbing his Bible. I did. And then almost forgetting to give it back. I did. You didn't know the rock hammer was in there. Did you? I did. Mm. I, I, I almost said it out loud, but I didn't want to ruin it for, for Taylor. But the thing is, is that they searched that room up and down. Where else was he going to hide that thing? That's true. If you, upon second watch too, they do kind of make it clear. Also, he hands him the Bible and he's like, salvation lies within. He's like, oh, I agree, sir. Also, not even that, but he quoted the Bible. They did this back and forth thing, right? Where he does, he quotes it. He says, what's it, where, what book it's from and what chapter it's from. And then they do the opposite where the warden quotes it. And Andy says what chapter, uh, what book and chapter it's from. And I feel like that was a test to be like, do you actually read this thing? And I mean, he does, he knows the Bible, but he also used it for story. I thought it was great. Like I I thought that whole setup was amazing. Well, it's great too, because the, the quotes that they each choose Andy's is, you know, be prepared because you don't know when the master of the house comes. And the wardens is like, I am the light of the world and I can be your salvation or whatever. I forget the exact quote. So it's like Andy's is like, watch out, the warden's coming. And the wardens is, I'm fucking everything you need. <laughs> like, I'm Jesus, basically. Um, and also, 
when you turn to the Bible at the end, the pickaxe starts in Exodus, which is all about like, you know, the yeah. Exodus from Egypt. Right. So it's like about his Exodus from the prison. So, um, yeah, that's a great scene. And then right after this, Andy gets reassigned to the library. And I love when he asked Brooks, he's like, you know, how long have you been doing this? He's like, oh, it's 20, 30 years, whatever. And he's like, have you ever had an assistant? He's like, no, no, I don't need an assistant for this. And Andy's like, okay, I know what fucked it. I know what's going on here. And then the guy comes in to ask for help. And I love Brooks is like, yeah, the guard almost freaked out when Andy's like, do you want your kid to go to Harvard or Yale? So uh, I, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about was like the big payoff for when he was giving the advice to Hadley. And then, you know, this kind of jump starts the whole main plot of the movie. But um, when that first guard came in to ask for, to set up a trust fund. Uh, and then I think periodically it was shots of like all the guards in the waiting room, quote unquote waiting room. And then he's like setting up his like makeshift desk and whatnot and then you see over the years that he's like he has this desk and this chair he had to find and then pieces of paper that um brooks had to scrap up and then he eventually graduated to like a whole calculator and a um what's it called the a typewriter and everything like that i just thought like he became more and more advanced i i missed why was there an entire baseball team in there at one point they have the offhanded comment about how like they moved the intramural season so that Andy could basically do their tax returns too, because, you know, they would come over to play, you know, different prisons would play each other and like they moved the season during tax season so that when they came over for their game, they could also bring all their tax shit and Andy could do their taxes for them. So that was another prison baseball team. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that was the whole point of that. Um, and then uh, this is also when Andy's like, you know, starts writing a letter a week. Uh, and it just keeps dropping it off, keeps dropping it off. And I do love the end of that, which comes later. But basically, they decide to give him money to shut him up. And he's like, oh, that's great. Now I'll write two letters a week. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, it did kind of confuse me because I was like, they've donated these books and they've gave him 200 bucks. And I was like, it's like 1955 at this point. I was like, is 200 bucks a lot? Like, is that enough for a whole new library? It's like, well, even if it was not for Andy, Andy wants more. What did you think was going through his mind when he locked the guard in the bathroom and then played the music over the loudspeaker? I mean, it's just kind of this like, I think it was just something, you know, he's really into music and it was just something that he didn't get to do. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's obviously just a cool scene to put in the movie. I don't know what his motivation was doing it from. I did think the warden overreacted a little bit. Um, giving him, what was it? Two weeks in the hole. But he also is the warden's like really loves his control. But I was like, I mean, he just played him you know, a song, like who gives a shit. I do love though the warden like tells him to open it and he turn he turns it up. So then the warden steps out of the way and Hadley's like, all right, motherfucker, it's my turn now. Like I've been unleashed. I I think there's a couple of themes going on uh, in this film, right? Uh, one of the main ones is could you actually be 
over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Can you actually be rehabilitated from being a murderer or a thief or, you know, whatever got you in there? The other thing is, and I feel like this wasn't really pushed until the end of the movie, but it was hope. And all for nothing, I think him being able to kind of blast this song across the intercoms was giving everyone a sense of hope. That's how I took it, at least. And then the warden doesn't like that at all, you know? Well, and Red says right after that, this is no place for hope. You know, it can drive a man insane. And that's right before his 30-year parole hearing, which goes exactly the same way his 20-year parole hearing did. Um, and real quick, the, uh, right after this, by the way, the Senate, the state Senate decides to give him 500 a year for the library. And that's when like it starts getting real big. But we did skip uh, some really good Brooks stuff before this. this. Is that He like freaks out because he's being released and this talks about like the whole like he's been institutionalized, you know, he doesn't even know how the world would work out there. And uh, Hayward's like, that's fucking stupid. He's like, you just wait till you've been in here that long. Like this place just takes your life. Even if you eventually get let out, it's like you don't have a life anymore. Did you notice that the number on Red's jumpsuit versus the number on Andy's jumpsuit? Um, is something like 7,000 something difference. So okay. in, in like 20 years, there's been 7,000 other inmates that have come through before Andy, between Red and Andy. But we can just look at their numbers and kind of guess, oh, this is kind of estimate how long each of the inmates have been there for. The Brooks, like, basically like a, it's like a side story of him getting out is really sad. Yes. It's all basically the letter that he wrote is being read and then acted out by Brooks. Um, did you know he was going to kill himself? When did you figure that out? Uh, I knew there was a suicide in this movie. And I didn't know who. And as Brooke's story was coming along, I think it was when he... Okay, this is like... <laughs> this does not take a genius to figure it out at this point in the movie. But it's definitely when he stood on the desk and you saw him like carving something into the thing. Um, I was like... Oh, he's going to kill himself. That's when I was like that. And then he does like almost immediately. Yeah, he's like, I've decided not to stay anymore. I also like, he's like, oh, you know, I could rob the Safeway and get sent back. I could even shoot the manager just as a bonus. I was so curious to see if when Red worked there, if it was the same manager when Brooks worked there, and it was not. So, Right. So now we fast forwarded a while. It's 1963, which means andy's been in there for 16 years and the library's up and cooking hayward's listening to his hank williams and the warden starts a program basically for inmates to make money for him and so he can get kickbacks and pie from women who don't know how to cook pie uh you know a bunch of stuff mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. 
And I love Andy explaining to Red. My favorite part of this is Andy explaining it all to Red and explaining how much of a genius he is. <laughs> he's like, oh, Randall Stevens, he's the guy. You know, he's the one, Your Honor, who's done all this, um, which then really pays off in the end if you don't know where the end's going. Really pays off in the end. I can't tell you the expression on Taylor's face when that all came together, but it was grand. It was great. Um, and I think another really great line in that is that, you know, he doesn't exist, but all of his... Um, paperwork birth certificate everything like that and then uh andy's like to red he says i wasn't a crook before i came to shawshank or no it took me going to prison to finally become a crook that's what he's right uh, yeah. which i thought was great no yeah that's a great scene and then after that we get to meet tommy williams uh yeah, I actually was not sure if I was going to like Tommy Williams at all. And I was like, it's too late in the movie to introduce a new character that I'm supposed to get, like, what, emotionally attached to? And then it was a big, like, fuck you. So <laughs> I see why. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tommy has a wife and girl. He gets Andy to, <laughs> to teach him for the, the GED. Uh, and he's like, well, I don't fucking train losers. And Tommy's <laughs> like, I'm not a fucking loser. He's like, okay, <laughs> we'll do it. Um, did you think Tommy's story is obviously true, right? He obviously did, did ha like hear Elmo Batch, Blatch tell him this, correct? A hundred percent. And, and you know, even, even if Stephen King, his fucking self decides to come out and say, no, I'm going to just believe it this way anyways. Well, because also the way Tommy reacts to the story is not like, why is he acting for Red? You know what I mean? But the way he reacts when he's like, oh, yeah, the, she was shacking up with this golf pro and, you know, killed him, da, da, da. And Tommy's just like, are you fucking serious? You know, that I don't think, I don't think Tommy, the character, is that good of an actor. Um, yeah, I, I believed him. I thought it was true. I... And then this is also then, the same year that Raquel Welch gets put on the wall, which is a very famous poster. And she's looking good. She's looking good in that Raquel Welch. Apparently Raquel Welch really loves this movie because of the posters on her posters on the wall. Is Raquel Welch still alive? Don't know. Huh. Um, she was at the time of the movie. She, she was actually, she was an episode of Seinfeld too, but that was around the same time. Okay, so what we get at this point is basically Tim Robbins, Andy, goes to the warden to be like, hey, Tommy Williams knows this guy, has a full confession, blah, blah, blah. This could get me out of here. Now, obviously, the warden has been having um, Andy do some illegal shit that could get the warden in a whole hell of a lot of trouble. So the last thing the warden wants is for Andy to to be let out yeah but you know what i noticed this time watching it which i hadn't noticed before the warden simply just doesn't believe tommy in the beginning right and he's like if you want to go with this fantasy that's fine but you know just you go do it and then andy's like hey 
I would never bring up what we do here. And then the warden's like, oh, fuck that. Like before that, I think if, if Andy had been able to handle this on his own, the warden would have been like, whatever. And maybe he would, it would have come to his attention. But like in the moment, he wasn't really thinking about that until Andy's like, you know, I would keep my mouth shut. And the warden's like, well, now I have to fucking make sure you keep your mouth shut because I'm not going to jail. So now, now all this has to happen. I think a lot of it is because Andy opened his fucking mouth. Andy is too smart for his own good. And then, are you being obtuse? Which always reminds me of the family guy when he's like, are you being obtuse? And then it pans to the warden and the warden's like in an obtuse angle, like sitting on the chair. Always makes me laugh. And so then Andy gets put in the hole for a month while he's in there. Tommy passes the GED, which is really great. We're all happy for Tommy. And then the warden tells Tommy to come outside, which I never really like. This is also the first time when I'm looking at him, like, oh, he's just like in the front of the prison, right? Like, this is totally looks like more as more of a setup. Like, as an adult, when I'm watching, I'm like, that's such a fucking setup from the beginning. Yeah. Because even Tommy's like, he wants me to go out there. That makes no sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Shot down in his prime. Uh, if you look at the way the warden is lit, he is completely in shadow when Tommy first walks out and he steps into the light. And I was like, what a fucking ominous, evil, like, shot this is making him out to be. And then, then Hadley is doing the same thing. He's up in the bell tower or whatever, and he's in the shadow, and he comes out into the light to shoot Tommy. I also imagine Hadley's the one that told him to go outside, and that scene's not very long. So as soon as he tells him to go outside, he has to, like, fucking run upstairs. He's not. It was a different guard. Mean? It was a different guard that got him out of his, his cell. I don't know about that. I'll have to go back and watch it. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Um, here's the thing, too. Moving on pretty quick for being pretty sure. Oh, we can, we can, I can wallow in your embarrassment. Um, but I'd rather not. The, the thing about um, that scene is that it was very sad. Now I have a question for you, David. Which death was sadder, Brooks or Tommy's? Tommy. Why? Because Brooks is really old. And Brooks decided to take his own life. Yeah. And then Tommy had a wife and child. And I thought he had a life sentence too. I was like, why is he getting a GED for a life sentence? He had a year. He was only in there for two years. He kept doing like small shit. So yeah, no, it's really sad. Um, yeah. And then the warden comes in and basically is like, hey, you know, he, he tried to escape, which Andy knows is bullshit. And uh, once again, if you forgot how evil the warden is, Andy's like, everything, you know, this is going to stop. And the warden's like, nothing stops. Or you will do the hardest time imaginable. And he's like, I'm going to cast you down with the sodomites. I'm going to fucking burn every book in that library. Like, I will just, like, you think you have it tough being in prison. You will see what it, what it prison can be. Um, it's it's so damn evil. And then he's like, or am I being obtuse? Which, like, I don't think in the original, uh, uh, like, discussion they had, he actually knew what obtuse meant. But since then, he's gone to a dictionary and figured it out. Okay. He puts him in the hole for another month. And then we're automatically cut to him just, like, on the outside wall in the yard. So I was like, time passes in this movie so fucking fast and fleeting. Because it's like, one second, we're, we're at uh, Morgan Freeman's 
like 30 year parole. And then the next second we're at his 40 year parole uh, hearing uh, or, you know, a month or two goes by in like a blink of an eye. So at this point we are actually uh, a month has gone by and Andy's out of the hole. And this is where the whole like real theme of hope really, really comes into play. Right. Well, this is the, the, it's kind of the final talk between Andy and red, you know, talking to, and Andy's like, I, you know, I drove away my wife. I may have not killed her, but you know, I didn't pull the trigger, but I'm the reason she's dead. And, you know, red's like, well, you know, what are you talking about? You have anything to do with that. And then Andy's like, Oh, you know, where, what would you do if you got out? Cause I would go to Zihuataneo or however you say it. And uh, because the Pacific has no memory and red's like that you can just fucking drive yourself crazy thinking about that like there's no point in that um and and red is also like you know in here i'm important similar to brooks and here i'm important out there i'm nothing you can buy what what i can get you you can buy anywhere and so uh you're right like there's the all the hope stuff but then there's also just like some it's not really even easter eggs but they're just like important things for the end of the movie too yeah um One of my favorite parts about that scene is when Andy talks to Red about special rock under the special tree near the special special hay barrel and it'll have something in there. It didn't occur to me until later that when he is telling him this, there is nothing under that rock, under that tree. But he definitely did have to make love to his wife there for, to know that. <laughs> that I believe. That I believe. Um but yeah, so I thought that was cool because only after his escape was he able to plant all that stuff exactly where he said. Also, what a risky play to plant all that money and like have absolutely certainty that no one from a distance is like watching you. And then as soon as you leave, goes up and tries to dig it all up. I don't know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, also, he just, in the end, we find out he stole $300,000, which is like, apparently $2.9 million in today's money. So he could afford if, if that got lost. It's just enough money for red to get to where he needs to get. Yeah. And then once he gets to, once he gets to Mexico, Andy owns him. Cause how was he going to do leave? Like, you know, he has no money. So um, this is also the get busy living or get busy dying line, which at this point, if you don't know what's going on and you told me that Taylor, you told me that Taylor really thought this, um, you think that he's going to go kill himself? Because then after that, you find out that he got some rope from Hayward. Once again, Hayward really fucking up here. But he got some rope from Hayward, and it's just like the they really like lean into that. You know, it's not a fast forward to the next day. It's like they show Red in his cell for a long while. Like time doesn't pass fast in this scene until the next morning. And the reveal of this is why this is such a great movie. Um, the the guy like calling Andy out of the cell and like where are you? I'm gonna beat your fucking head in if I have to walk down there. Walks down there, he's not there, and the warden, as he's opening his shoes to find Andy's shoes, and at the same time the siren going off, and then yeah. the music kicks in. Yeah, so well done. Let me ask you something. Warden comes in totally berates the guard that was supposed to, you know, have 
you know, the prisoners in their uh, cells by lights out. Um, starts picking up Andy's little rock sculptures and like just start throwing them at, at people, especially um, Red, who they bring in because, you know, they're thick as thieves, as the warden says. Um, and then he blasts one through the poster. Now, first of all, I don't know if this movie won any Academy Awards. I'm sure you do. I'm sure. Did it not. Had. It was nominated for seven. Did not win one. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, sound design should have been one it was nominated for. Because the sound of the rock going through the poster and bouncing off the walls of the tunnel without you seeing that that's what happened sounded exactly like that's what happened. But let me ask you a more important question, David. How did he get the poster back up after? Because it, it, it's connected on the top. So he pushes it up each time he, he does it because you see it in a later thing. He does, it's not connected at the bottom. So once he crawls through, it just falls back down because of gravity. Okay, that's pretty fair. <laughs> I didn't think of gravity. Gravity is... Uh, it always gets you. Yeah. It always gets you. Woo! I, I especially love, though, the warden after the rock goes through, sticking his hand through and pulling it out. And then just the camera angle of the warden looking through the hole just, like, makes him look so defeated and so, like, oh, fuck. Um, oh, man, great. that shot... That shot where they're all looking through the... Oh, man. Yeah, so great. And then, you know, you get to finally see... I, I think at this point is when you see Andy has walked through it. You know, the 500 yards, half a mile. And the, the famous... It's on the DVD cover of him, like, raising his arms as the rain's washing off all the poo that's clearly all over him. Yeah. But then the next reveal is almost greater. If It's definitely just as good of uh and the next day a person who's never existed walked into a bank and 12 other banks randall stevens and like takes out all the warden's money and i also to the throwaway line of like hey by the way can you put this in your outgoing mail uh i also don't want to skimp on the fact that when it kind of did a flashback to that night when um his last night there where the warden asked him to, you know, put his coat in the cleaners and shine his shoes. Him switching the, the book with the Bible. Uh, and then as we talked about later, when the warden opened up the book, realized it was the Bible and there was the perfect cutout of the rock hammer. Uh, yeah, just that whole ending is just one of the most satisfying endings to any film I have seen. Well, and then it even says, Andy signs it and says, you were right, salvation lies within. Yeah. Um, did you think as the warden is loading all six bullets into his gun that he was going to start firing at the cops or did you think, nah, he's going to shoot himself? So Taylor thought he was going to shoot himself. I thought he was going to fire at the cops. And I think it was a little bit of both. I think he wanted to fire at the cops and then realized how kind of a moot point that was. What I would have liked to see, though, is his guards opening the door 
and going through the door first and then him unloading into his own guys and then the co- the actual cops outside go in guns blazing you know that's not as good of a movie him shooting himself is better yeah it is um uh, the, the cops also yell at him make it easy on yourself and he's like okay just blows his head out and the, the, the narration being on point of i like to think the last thing that went through his head besides that bullet i feel like that's an all, all another line that is heavily used in like pop cultural references Absolutely. um and after this red gets the fort hancock texas postcard and you know that's blank which is cool and then his parole board and i gotta say this is the most unbelievable part of this that he would just be an asshole to the people that are considering letting him out. And they're just like, you know what? Accepted. This guy who, who yelled at me. I have a theory about that. Go on. I think Andy paid off the parole board to let him out. There's absolutely no evidence of that, but I'm fine with your theory. Well, because he, the evidence is that he was a total asshole Unless if it was just by some coincidence that, because remember what you said about the the parole board members changing every 10 years. So maybe this like, and, and did you notice this was the first time a woman was on the parole board too? Progress. Yeah. So progress, new blood. Maybe they were like, you know what? Re- reformed. Also, apparently Red had been in prison exactly 20 years to the day that andy got in you know because his parole hearing the first day was on andy's first day um so he gets out somehow um and he basically gets brooks exact life the movie is maybe trying to make you think that he might kill himself but i don't think that's ever a possibility um i don't think so i think it's too many too many bluffs with that now i think they were trying to make you think andy was trying to kill himself and i you know so he goes to Buxton, finds the tree, finds the rock. And I like how Andy is so careful that he's like, I'm not even going to repeat the town. But if you remember the town that I told you that one time, that's where I'm going to be. Come see me. And this was also the family guy joke where uh, Peter does the exact same thing. And he's like, do you remember the name of the town? And Peter's like, or no, Brian. Brian is like, oh, fuck, what's the name of that town? And then they just show Peter on the beach. Just like, where is he? <laughs> so i love the last shot of this movie with just them finding each other on the beach and it being like a far off shot Uh, apparently darabout didn't even want to show this he just wanted to kind of leave it more ambiguous and the studio was like no fuck that you got to show them getting together and uh he's like all right well i'm gonna make it a little ambiguous and have this like not ambiguous but i'm gonna make it like a far off thing where you don't get to like be up close to seeing it all. So I really like, I love that ending. I love how it like kind of keeps going. So it's a great, great ending to this movie. It kind of made it feel like a dream sequence to me. Like this is the best case scenario, how this can work out. And I was even a little unsure, like, did this actually happen? Or is this like what Morgan Freeman wants to happen? It happened. Okay. <laughs> Good enough for me. I, I liked it. I'm not going to say like, oh, I don't like it just because this is a really popular movie. I genuinely like this movie. I'm not going to try to be difficult with you, David. You did a good job. 
in getting me to watch this film. Yes, I know. Do you want to talk about some alternate casting? All right. Lay it on me. Andy is played by Tom Hanks. Uh, uh, Yeah. Well, so for the part of Red, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Paul Newman, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and Robert Duvall were considered. Um, But Darabont was like, I always wanted fucking Morgan Freeman to do this. And that is like probably the best decision made in this movie. For uh, the part of Andy, Jeff Bridges, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, Nicolas Cage, Johnny Depp, and Charlie Sheen were all considered. Except I also read that Charlie Sheen really wanted to do this movie and was willing to do like a 30-minute like audition where he would send in the tape of him doing it and the studio was just like flat out like no, which is like the best thing that they ever could have done. Um, Hanks turned this down for Forrest Gump, which is great. Understandable. Costner uh, was doing Waterworld, which I think (laughs) Costner would have been pretty fine in this, but I I think I think we got the best two that could be in this. I can't can't imagine other people. I can't even imagine Tom Hanks. I mean, not Tom Hanks. uh, Tom fucking Cruise. So Rob Reiner loved the script that Frank Darabout wrote for this. Uh, He offered two point five millions for the right to the script, and he wanted Harrison Ford to play Red and Tom Cruise to play Andy. And thank, thank God that didn't happen. That that would have been such a different movie. Well, thanks everyone for listening to our 100th episode. I'm Alon. And I'm David. And I finally watched The Shawshank Redemption. <laughs>